Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Noel. This the autumn of Noel continues. <laughs> yeah, autumn of Noel. That's a good album title. Yeah, it is. I get royalties from it if anyone uses it. Uh, I think that we should entitle this uh, "Passports: Colon Go to Sleep Now." <laughs> Man, I know. <laughs> This is one of the ones that gets chalked up in the column of, well, we've got to explain everything. Yeah. Uh, it, it's okay. I oh, yeah. I, I don't want to talk down before we start. Right. But it's not scintillating. We're supposed to be enticing people to listen. <laughs> We're actually kind of chasing them off. No, I think this file's under, like, uh, informational, helpful informational podcasts. There you go. We're not going to blow your mind with, like, the coolest stories on Earth. But you're going to know how to get a passport. Yes, you are, yeah. especially if you live in the United States. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's start with the name, Chuck. You know, there's a there's a um, a great debate over what passport the word comes from. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, it depends on whether you are British or a Francophile. Okay. In British, it means quite literally what it sounds like. It's pass. It, it allows passage through a port, like yeah. where a ship docks. Right. When you come in. You say, here are my papers. This is a passport. Let me pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're French, port, P-O-R-T-E, means like gate or door. Oh. So you would be allowed passage through like the gates of a city. Okay. Never never been settled. No one knows exactly which one's correct, but it's probably one of those two that the word comes from. It's never been settled because they quit arguing about it. Yeah, there's like, <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Um, but it does underscore the fact that passports are quite old, actually. Yeah, you uh, dug up this article from The Guardian, the, A Brief History of the Passport, which um, I thought was kind of interesting. That, uh, back even in biblical times, mm-hmm. they had things that were like passports. They obviously didn't call them passports. But um, <laughs> Not yet. in the book of Nehemiah, uh-huh. very underrated, I'd, according I'd to this never article. never even heard of it. <laughs> had you? Yeah, of course. I used to have them all memorized. You had the book of Nehemiah? No, no, no. All the books of the Bible memorized. Mm. I can still say I'm up through a certain point. Nice. And then I just forget and then start shaking. Is Nehemiah <laughs> involved in, included in what you can remember? Uh, No. Okay, good. I think I go up through like judges. Yeah. And then I forget. Did you do it alphabetically? No, just in order. Oh, okay. I could start rattling them off. That's okay. That's yeah, all right. I don't think we need to go there. <laughs> uh, in Nehemiah, though, there was a, a prophet working uh, as the royal cupbearer and Basically, we had to travel to uh, Judah and said, I need some help, king, so I don't get, uh, I guess, uh, drawn and quartered, which they probably didn't even do back then. Um, so can I get safe passage? And that was sort of the earliest idea of a government sort of agency saying, please allow this person to pass into your town. Yeah. No molestar. No molestar. Don't touch this guy. Just leave him alone. He's got my protection. I will bring the full force of my kingdom down upon you. That's right. This actually ties in with our uh, episode on diplomatic immunity. Mm-hmm. The, the, it's basically the same thing. Sure. Um, but th- so yeah, this idea of of getting some sort of protection to travel abroad, um, it's pretty old. In early medieval and then up until late medieval Europe, there is this idea that people should have a freedom of movement, right? Mm-hmm. King John, the same guy from the Magna Carta, he he um, was the first 
to, at least in Europe, to enshrine the idea of freedom of movement, that you should be able to leave your homeland, go somewhere for business or pleasure or whatever, and then come back to your homeland without any real problems. It shouldn't be a big deal. You shouldn't be trapped in your homeland. You shouldn't be excluded from your homeland. You should be able to move back and forth. Yeah. And since then, it's been considered something of a a universal human right, this freedom of movement. You'd think so. And Well, in fact, in the uh, UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights that came after World War II, it's enshrined in there as well, freedom of movement. Pretty neat. It is pretty neat. But part of that is this idea that you have some sort of papers that says this is a citizen of our country. Please give them, yeah. uh, uh, you know, please treat them well. And in fact, well, I don't know about that, but at least allow them to come and go. Right. There you go. Uh, in fact, in our own U.S. passport, still something uh, a lot of people probably don't even read there. Therein lies the important uh, statement that says that still like, you know, that please allow the citizen. I don't even think it says please. It says no molestar. It says no molestar. It's very important. Right. Uh, in uh, jolly old England, uh, I thought this was pretty interesting. From the 1794 on, the office of the Secretary of State uh, took over passport issuance. and um, The home office, right? It just says the office of Secretary of State. I think that's the home office. Okay. okay. Uh, and they have every passport since 1794 still on record. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Or frightening, depending yeah. on where you're coming from. I saw another thing about British passports. Um, the photos have evolved over time. Like It used to be they, they were just like, yeah, just make sure you're in the photo. Sure. So like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle has a photo of himself with his family and their dog. Really? On his old passport. Yeah. Nice. Um, so it, it, over time, though, as we'll see, there's definitely strict regulations about what you can and can't use for your passport photo. Yeah, and also in England, they used to, um, British passports had uh, descriptions as well. <laughs> so a lot of people uh, didn't like this. It would have, you know, things like, you know, big nose, prominent eight head. Beady eyes. Beady eyes. <laughs> and eventually they're like, yeah, maybe we should just let yeah. the photo do the talking. Right. Um, so... About the 1860s, Europe said, you know what? To heck with this. This is a pain. We don't want to check everybody's papers. Let's just do away with passports. And they were fine with that. America went the exact opposite way. Um, up until about the Civil War, it was pretty easy to come and go into the United States without any kind of papers whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but then, apparently because they were worried about, um, well, they wanted to keep track of who was coming into America and who was going. Yeah. And that's a really good way to do it. Is and to, freed slaves. Right. Is to require documentation mm-hmm. for that kind of international travel. So America started its passport requirements around then. And then finally, when World War I came, everybody started using passports. In yeah. That, that seemed like the point where the whole world said, you know what, let's really keep track of this. Yeah. And they used to be pretty cumbersome. I think that the United States passport was like an 11 by 18 inch document. Yeah. That's a biggie. Yeah, this was uh, taken from a book uh, that you found called The Passport in America by Craig Robertson. And this dude really did his homework. <laughs> he did. And um, there was even a direct quote from somebody in the 19th century that said, no pocket of any sex would tolerate them. No, they were just too big. So like that was the Yelp review of <laughs> passports. <laughs> right, exactly. I can't even put this in my pocket. Nobody could. Um, so then 1926 came around and the United States dropped it down to about the standard three by five. And that became the trend around the world. Um, and uh, there's your 
Everything interesting about passports is just coming. <laughs> no, that's not true. I love that England called theirs uh, Old Blue for a long time. Yeah, apparently it was very beloved, and then they moved over to Burgundy, and I was like, oh, okay. Old Burgundy. I guess it's fine. <laughs> um, all right. Should we take a break here? Why not? All right. Let's take a break, and we'll get back to the scintillating details of passports. Okay. All right, we're back with passports. <laughs> Welcome back to Passport Talk. <laughs> <laughs> we should do a whole series on it. Uh, so, in the U.S., uh, if you are issued, um, you are issued a passport from a number of places. Uh, the State Department. Uh, well, the State Department issues them. Well, the, yeah, they get re- routed through there for sure. Right, you can apply at different places. I yeah. Guess. So there's 27 passport agencies now. Yeah. In all 50 states. But you don't have to go to a passport agency. No, you don't, unless you, like you a want post it office. really quickly. Well, it's only about a week quicker. It depends, though. We'll talk about We'll get to that. Yeah. But, yeah, you, most people just go to the post office. You can go to the post office. You can go to uh, a, a court. Um, there are other authorities around. If you look up, that you can apply for your passport. Mm-hmm. You can apply at home, like print it out yourself. What's the form? DS Stroke 11? I think that is it. That's the one. So, yeah, you uh, you can print it out at home, but the thing is, is you're going to need to. If it's, it, we should say, there's really two big circumstances that will change all of this stuff. Yeah. If this is your first passport, you can print it out at home all day long. You're going to have to go somewhere to show up in person to apply. That's right. They want to see you. They want to verify you are who you are. They want to smell you. Yes, they mm-hmm. want to. In, take in your your scent. Sure. Um, and uh, so your first passport, you have to jump through a little bit of hoops. We should say, however, this is not difficult stuff. No, no. And there's really no excuse whatsoever for you to not have a passport. No, it's. I think when you reach a certain age, uh, and it's good to have just in case. It, it's good for ten years if you're over eighteen. Right. And uh, sixteen, I think. Oh, is it 16 now? Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right. Well, 10 years is a long time. Sure. And uh, we'll get into um, trying to get it one quick-like, but you can save yourself a lot of money. And a lot of trouble. And a lot of stress if you just say, I'll go ahead and get my passport in case I ever need to leave the country. Right. In a hurry. Right, exactly. <laughs> or for fun. Sure. Uh, and cost now is um, for first-time, first-timers, it's $135 for an adult. Yep. 105 for uh, child. Uh, if you renew your passport, which is a little bit of a misnomer because they say you can't renew a passport, you can't renew it in that you keep your same passport. Right. You, you get a new one, but if you have a previous passport, you can get it renewed. It'll just be a new one, and it's cheaper. Right, yeah. So the first time you go to apply for a passport, you're going to fill out the form. What is it, the DS-11? DS-11. stroke And you're going to take it down there with some uh, proof of identity, um, and you are going to sign it in front of the person at the post office or the clerk of court, wherever. Yeah, don't sign it at home. No, no, no. Um, and then uh, they're going to take all of your stuff, and then uh, you will get a passport in the mail. After that, 
you can fill out a totally different form, pay less money, and just mail your old passport in, and they'll send you a new one. Yeah, along with the old one. Right. Uh, which is kind of neat if you like a keepsake. Yeah. What I can say is don't tear pages out of your passport yeah. as keepsakes. Because yeah. uh, I know someone who ended up on a watch list by doing that. No way. Mm-hmm. Wow. A family member, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. Just wanting to like, hey, this was a special trip. Let me keep this page. Big no-no. Yeah. Apparently, you could be prosecuted yeah. for mutilating your <laughs> passport. Yes, you can. Is how they put it. So don't worry. They'll mail you back your old passport if you just want to hang on. And and. I don't know if it's changed. When I was doing my traveling abroad in the the 90s, I didn't even get stamped in every country. So it's not like I had a passport full of amazing, memorable stamps. Right. I think about half the countries even bothered stamping it. Right. Uh, they may be more strict on it now. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, do you always get stamps? I mean, here or there, most of the time. Okay, but not always. Yeah, I've never figured out what the deal is, Maybe why they would or wouldn't stamp. It seems like it literally comes down to, like, do I feel like... Doing this with my hand. Yeah, that's the impression I have as well. <laughs> but I mean, that seems like a serious lack of. Yeah. You know? Uh, standardization, maybe? Sure. Yeah. Or, yeah I guess. Yeah, there, there's something wrong with that, I think. So if you uh, want to go abroad, um, you should do this a few months ahead of time just to take all the stress out of it. Yeah. You're going to get your passport. It usually takes a couple of weeks, but you don't want to chance <laughs> anything. No, no. Um, just normally, just using all the normal channels, going to the post office, not paying for any kind of expedited service, the State Department estimates you should get your passport from the time of your application about four to six weeks. Yeah, but it never takes that long. But again... It, it shouldn't, but it could. It could. That's the worst case scenario, which is what they tell you. Yeah. So Uncle Chuck will tell you it'll take a couple of weeks, but again, don't risk that. No, and there's there's actually a, a fairly recent history... Um, Shows us that you you really shouldn't risk it. Um, back in 2007, something called the Western Hemisphere Travel Initiative went into effect. And it used to be that you could get to Canada and Mexico and parts of the Caribbean with just uh, your birth certificate and maybe a driver's license. Yeah. Um, that was totally fine. That kind of traveled through North America. Uh, it, in 2007, they said, no, if you're traveling by air, you have to have a passport even if you're coming from Mexico or Canada into the U.S. If you're traveling by land or by sea, you need to at least have a passport card, which they created, which is about half price. Yeah. This caused a huge run on passports in 2007, and the the backlog suddenly went to like a 15-week wait, Yeah, which was a real headache for a lot of people who'd waited, assuming it was going to be four to six weeks, and all of a sudden it was 15 weeks, well, if your travel was in that time, you were in big trouble, yeah. right? Um, and now the State Department is warning, we're about to get to the 10-year anniversary of that. Oh, yeah. So if your passport's coming up for renewal, right. you may want to do it sooner than later because that same backlog is going to come again right? as people have to renew after 10 years. So if you were a chump before... Don't be a chump twice. Well, no, be prepared to be a chump again almost. I guess. Or else <laughs> run out and do it right now. Uh, so the little card is, uh, for first timers is 55 for adults and 40 for kids, uh, which is a lot cheaper and it fits in your wallet. And I guess if you are in the U.S., you're like, I like to go to the Caribbean every now and then or Mexico and that's about it. Um, yeah, but that's just if you're going by land or sea. Yeah. 
If you're flying, you have to have a passport. Every single time. You yeah. should say that at least two more times. If you're flying, <laughs> you have to have a passport. All right, that's three. I think I think we got it across. Okay. Uh, but like I said, no, you know yourself. You know what kind of travel you like to do. If you just say, I like to go on the occasional cruise, okay, see, just that's, get your little card. That's sea travel. That's covered. <laughs> uh, I don't want anybody getting to customs being like, but Josh and Chuck said, and no. us ruining their, their vacation. No, I think we've this, we've really hammered that. I'm I'm okay. I'm fine. Uh, know yourself. Know your travel style. <laughs> get the card if the card is good for you. Right. Get old blue. Yeah. Well, we don't call it old blue. No, the British call ours old blue though. They name it everything. They name everything. <laughs> yeah. What's it? Burgundy now. Old Burgundy. Um, all right, so we're traveling abroad. By the way, if you have a baby, your baby's got to have a passport. Yeah. Any- I-, I thought there would be some, like, exemption, but no. Yes. you got to get your baby photographed. Any live human has to have a passport, at least in the United States, but increasingly across the world. Like, passport laws are are becoming more and more standardized. Yeah. You know? All right, so we talked about applying in person. Avi, if it's your first passport, you have to do that. We already said that. Um, if you uh, lost uh, or had your passport stolen, you have to go again in person. Uh, if your passport is expired and was issued more than 15 years ago, you got to go again. Yep. And Start by over. the way, the reason they uh, – I think it, when you're a kid, you have it only lasts so long because you change the way you look more. Right. Which makes sense. Yeah. They have no idea what you're going to grow up to look like. Yeah. You could look like a freak. They don't know. So is it every five years if you're? If under age 16. Every five years. Five years. And, and hey, if you're getting multiple passports before the age of 15, then lucky you. Nice going. Kid. Yeah. Uh, if your passport expired and was issued when you were under 16, you got to go in person. Or if your name has changed. Then you got to go in person. Uh, if your name has changed and you don't have any kind of legal document oh, showing the right. change of name, that, you can send that in, right? Yeah, you can totally. Um, you can change your name just by through the mail. Actually, as long as you have this a certified supporting document. Uh, here's what I thought was interesting to prove your identity. Um, if you don't have a birth a certified birth certificate, <laughs> right. you can actually still get a passport through a letter of no record. Basically, a letter saying this dude doesn't have a certified birth certificate for yeah. whatever reason. It starts out, you're not going to believe this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but get this. This guy doesn't have a birth certificate. I like that they take, you know, there's a allowance for that, though, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's necessary. Um, and this is this is uh, different from, like, a hospital birth certificate. Yeah. The hospital That's actually reports the certified. birth, and then the, the birth is recorded with the city or the county. Yeah. That's the birth certificate you want. But if your city or county lost it or whatever and can't find it, then they should issue you a, a letter of no documentation. That in and of itself isn't going to be enough no. for you to necessarily get a passport. Um, you also want to find other stuff that supports the fact that you were, in fact, born. This is a great list. You know? Yeah. A census record? Where are you going to find that? A certificate of circumcision. Yeah, that's one. That's I mean, pretty good who's, proof. Who's going to lie about that? Yeah. Show them the certificate. Then I guess if they need further proof, you could uh, <laughs> right. go into the back room. They're like, uh, please, <laughs> please step around and drop your pants or... No, they wouldn't do that. Uh, baptismal certificate? No, if they do do that, you should get a free passport. Yeah. And maybe even like a attorney. state. Like they give you a state. The state Sealand. you're in, you just <laughs> automatically own it for that. Uh, doctor's record of postnatal care. Yeah. Um, a family Bible record. I've never heard of that. I don't, I didn't even underline that. 
You didn't? No, that seems illegitimate. Like a fam- like you could write anything in a family yeah. Bible. Is that what that means? I think so. That sounds archaic. Bas- baptismal certificate's another one. Uh, then you want to bring in some proof of ID, like if your driver's license or military ID, government ID. Yeah. Basically, you want to load up on anything you can, including a signature ID, uh, and say, please let me leave the country and come back. <laughs> and there's actually a form called the DS slash 10A. And it is a form that you can have a, a blood relative who's older than you. It's my favorite thing. Um, it's the, an the affidavit <laughs> saying, yeah. like, yes, this person was born. I remember when he or she was born because they're my favorite niece or nephew. And um, they are who they say they are. They don't even need to be related. Oh, really? I thought it was a blood relative. No, you just have to know you for two years. Oh, that's a different form. That's the form DS-71. Oh, I thought, what's yours again? DS-10A. Let's get it. Let's get it straight. <laughs> but they both do the same thing? They vouch yes, for but it. one is a blood relative, and I think it holds more weight. Oh, okay. The, the DS-71 is where somebody who's known you for two years right. says, I vouch for this person. How long they, did you know Hippie Rob? They've been, yeah, I could have vouched for him, I guess. <laughs> could he have vouched for you? I guess, yeah. I'm sure we knew each other for longer than two years. But I mean, think about it. That's, I think that's like the last resort. Yeah. It's like this person has been posing as this person for at least two years. <laughs> yeah, right. Is what the form DS slash 71 says. Yeah. He's my neighbor. <laughs> right. Uh, I've he just to him suddenly a of times. showed up. <laughs> I know that the, the older couple who lived in the house just suddenly didn't <laughs> live there anymore, and this man did. He doesn't have an accent that's weird. Uh, all right. So let's talk about the worst case scenario, which we were talking about, which is, oh, no, I have to get to uh, Bruges in Belgium <laughs> tomorrow. OK. What do you do? Well, it depends on why you have to get there. If you have a family member who just fell down and hit their head and is at the uh, at death's doorstep, you have what the State Department considers to be a life and death circumstance. That's right. Um, you can go there and say, hey, this hospital in Bruges just sent me this fax that's my, is my, uh, my brother's medical records. Yeah. And, uh, I have to go. And they will work with you. Yes. Um, if you, if you say, hey, just thought of going out of town at the last minute. Um, I, I booked a trip for tomorrow for fun. Yeah. Because I'm an idiot. Right. So I need a passport. (laughs) They'll actually work with you. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be fun. No. And, and you're going to have to jump through some hoops. But you can conceivably get a passport within 24 hours or less, sometimes the same day. Yeah. You can go to a private agency and pay anywhere from 180 to like $300 mm-hmm. to get a same-day passport. Yes. That's real. Right. It's in, not like, you know, the back alley. Right, like, this, this should do it. Um, there's, I saw one here in Atlanta. They have an office um, where for $295, you can get a, uh, a passport in eight hours. That They'll go get you one. Wow. Um, but that is, again, if you have, if you say just need it to be renewed or need pages added to it or something like that. Right. If you have to do it and it's your first passport, you're going to have to do it yourself either way. And actually, you can save yourself those fees by simply making an appointment and going to one of the regional offices if yeah. you're lucky enough to live in that city. True. And then you should be able to get it the same day, as long as you can prove that you need it within that time. Yeah. And if you pay the $60 rush fee. Yeah, because if you hire this private service, you're going to have to pay all the normal passport fees. Including the rush fee. 
plus yeah. their um this the this private services fees of like right. three hundred dollars on top of all of the other fees you'll have to pay. Exactly. Um all right, well let's take a break and uh let's talk about the all important passport photo uh after this. All right, Josh, this is kind of fun, too, because uh, passport photos have very specific requirements, and you would think they would just be common sense, mm-hmm. but, you know, some dummy might take their own passport photo, which you can do. Yeah, you can. With, like, Beats headphones and a, a Braves hat and sunglasses on. You're dumb, dumb. Especially if you mail that off. Right. And expect your passport <laughs> yeah. to come back. You're going to get a letter of denial. No, instead, you have to be facing front. Mm-hmm. You want it to be b- mostly a headshot. It has to be a two-inch by two-inch photo. Yes. Um, and you need a duplicate of it. And your head has to take up one to one and three-eighths inches of this photo. From the bottom of the chin to the top of the head. Exactly. Yes. You don't want anything covering your hair or your hairline. No. You don't want to be wearing sunglasses. Nope. But if, say, like you wear a wig or you wear glasses <laughs> or you wear uh, something that... that is a separate feature on your face, but you no- you normally wear that? Yeah. You would want to wear that in the photo. Yeah, they want it to look as much like you look every day. And that doesn't mean I wear my last chance garage hat. No, you couldn't. You, you know? You would get denied. But I could say, I wear this almost every day. And they'd say, sorry, you're denied. <laughs> and they'd say, you're a grown man, for God's sake. <laughs> Why are you wearing a baseball cap? Uh, it's got to be in color these days. Uh, didn't used to have to be. Yeah. And they prefer a neutral expression, although... You are allowed a slight smile, a, a little, maybe a Mona Lisa smile. Yeah, so like if you're going like to to Paris for the Tour de France finale, is that where it is? Mm, we'll just say France. All right. Yeah, uh, you might be a little excited and smile a little bit, but keep it to yourself. Keep it tamped down forever. Um, or you can, if you don't want to do it yourself, uh, you know, you're supposed to have a white background or a tan background. You go, go to Kinko's or someplace or just Google passport photos and there's plenty of places that aren't the, the photo booth. Yeah, which again, technically, as long as it fit the criteria, they don't care if you got it done in a photo booth, as long as you're following all of the standards. But it is a lot easier for you to go to just the drugstore and say, I need passport photos. That's right. And the person taking your picture should know what to do. Uh, we've already talked about renewal, but uh, that is DS stroke 82. <laughs> if you want to download that sucker. Uh, and again, it is cheaper to renew. And as long as you fit the other requirements, you can just send it, send it right in and get it replaced. Right. Which is great. Right. So, um, if you were to tear open your passport as of 2006 in the United States, you would, well, first of all, you'd be arrested probably, which is nuts. No, no. But if you go and read page six, it says that it's property of the U.S. government. Yeah. You don't own it. No. And that if a, a U.S. authority requests that you surrender it, you have to surrender it. That's right. Which we'll talk about in a second because that's kind of a big deal. But if you tore it open, you would find um, an RFID chip that makes your passport what's considered an e-passport. 
And that has all sorts of information. It has a duplicate of your photo. It has biometric information about you. And uh, it makes it a lot harder to travel under a fake passport or forge a passport than it used to be. And that's uh, radio frequency identification is what that stands for. Right. And the U.S. gets a lot of credit for the e-passport, but it actually was introduced in Malaysia earlier. And uh, another big feature that makes it difficult to forge is, uh, well, a lot of different features, like special inks and different types of illustrations and threading and stuff like that. That was actually introduced by Nicaragua. Yeah, theirs apparently is one of the most <clears throat> difficult documents to forge in the world. Yeah, I think it's become the standard. Yeah. But they, they're the ones who started it, actually. Neat. They started the trend. Um, so I said that your passport is technically not yours. It's basically on loan from the government. This really irks a lot of people. There's um, a couple of laws that have become proposed recently where um, – one is if you owe the IRS $50,000 or more, you can have your passport revoked. Hmm. Another is if you owe $5,000 or more in child support, you can have your passport revoked. And another one is if you have, if you're accused of associating with terrorist organizations, yeah. you can have your passport revoked. Well, all three of those are meeting resistance by people who say, Hey, man, like there are ways for you, the U.S. government mm-hmm. to track all the people you need to track right. without revoking passports. We don't like you having that power overtly written down in, in law. Yeah. Like, this is a right that dates back to the Magna Carta. Yeah. Um, so l- let's just lay off of that. The U.S. government says, shut up. We own your passports <laughs> and you, by the way. Yeah. Um, so th- there is resistance to it, but I don't know how, how well it's being met. And this program of revoking passports among um, terrorists people associated with terrorist organizations. Have you read the drone papers from The Intercept yet? No. So in it, they talk about how that's becoming like a thing, and it suggests that it's a way of laying the groundwork for assassinations. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like your passport's revoked. You're technically not a citizen anymore, so Uh you're open for assassination overseas by like a drone strike or something. Wow. So, yeah. So a lot of people are like, let's just leave the passports alone. Let's right. leave the passports out of this. You guys are really taking this, this, this right and, and revoking it yeah. based on like a hundred people. Yeah. In the whole world or in the whole country. You yeah. Know? Um, so it's a, it's a big thing. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, if you lose your passport, uh, while you're abroad, it's no fun. Um, and that's why they always recommend that you, Make copies of your passport and leave with like a family member at home. That'll yeah. help you get it back quicker after you fill out DS Stroke 64. Yeah. And <laughs> don't forget to make copies and keep them with you as well, like yeah. hidden in your luggage too. It's a good idea. Uh, and I think, well, you can get hooked up at the embassy, right? In whatever country you're in. Yeah. That's the first place I'd go if I was in trouble. Oh, sure. Cause that's what they do in the movies. Yeah. That's what Matt Damon always does. <laughs> Did you see the thing about camouflage passports? No. This woman named uh, Donna... um, Shalala? (laughs) No. No. What was her name? Donna Walker. Back in the 80s, she came up with this idea of camouflage passports. It's like a fake passport that somebody can have that is, is... it's for a made-up country that sounds uninteresting. So if a terrorist is looking for Americans to kill and you show them your East Timor... Or well, that's or a Canada. real country, yeah. But like a made-up uh, passport that yeah. looks real, they might just pass you by for you know, 
somebody yeah. else. And uh, it's a real thing. They've been made and issued, and people have made it out of Kuwait, I think. Europeans made it out of Kuwait using camouflage passports, but it's also really Crazy. wide open for, you know, fraud and that kind of stuff. That sounds Argo-esque. Very Argo-esque. I'm from Sealand. Don't shoot. <laughs> well, that's a real place, too. Sealand. Is that Sealand theme? No. <laughs> I can't. Oh, I think that was He-Man? Yeah, maybe. Go ahead. Go ahead. Is that where we are now? <laughs> you Josh look just, like you're about to read. Well, Josh just said go ahead, so that oh, means wait, it's time for Oh, wait, is this a listener mail? <laughs> I, did, I thought this was uh, more passport stuff you're about to read, so you don't have anything else to take it. I don't. I mean, there's some other nitty-gritty stuff, but what I would recommend is you read the How Stuff Works article, because that's where it all lives. That's right. And there are some more details in there that we didn't reveal. And you will find that. By typing that word in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And I said search bar. Now it's time for the go-ahead. All right. Uh, all right. This is a very special listener mail, by the way, from David. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, just listened to the Vestigial Organs episode. And for the first time ever, you hit a flat note with me. Uh, Chuck was talking about receiving some criticism for joking around about calling men dumb. Josh seemed to dismiss the idea of anybody needing to raise the mantle of men. Uh, it is clear to me that you were just being funny. By deprecating maleness to shine a light on how great women are, I've always admired how thoughtful and gentlemanly you guys are in regards to women. That's why I felt a twinge of pain at your apathy for the struggle of some men uh, with their gender. And we got to say, David, we didn't. Like, you really opened our eyes here. Big time, man. Uh, I'm a male. I am uh, also gay and short and introverted and emotional and sensitive. Um, that sounds like me, except I'm straight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as a child, uh, being male meant that I couldn't play with the toys I wanted to. I had a rough, I had to rough house and play football with boys twice my size. As a teenager, I sat on the sidelines uh, while all my female friends were going on dates and getting their first kisses from the boys I secretly liked. I eventually grew out of those problems, but even today I work in female-dominated fields as an administrative assistant. Uh, my bosses are generally men, and I have missed out on a lot of opportunity because they often prefer my prettier female colleagues. I've often wondered uh, if there's a part of their brain that is concerned with how they would be perceived working with a male assistant, which is a good point, I think. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted to be a father, and when I looked into uh, a few years back, I looked into it, I was dismayed with the suspicion and ignorance many people hold for single men who want to adopt, uh, which is crazy. That's me talking. Uh, and of course, up until recently, being male prevented me from marrying the man I love. Uh, being male has been an obstacle uh, I've had to overcome to get everything I have ever really wanted out of life. Uh, perhaps being male has made a lot of men's lives easier, but for me it's been the opposite. There is an increasingly wide gender disparity in academic achievement. Uh, some devoted fathers suffer from biased family law that values female parents above male parents, and male victims of rape and domestic abuse face a lack of resources and an unsympathetic public. That's true. Man, this guy's hitting all the points. Uh, male privilege doesn't work for all men. Uh, I know you didn't mean anything by the dumb guy's comment and was uh, perhaps for two straight guys with seemingly very happy lives. It isn't immediately apparent that other guys view the advantages and disadvantages of being male differently. I hate to shine a light on this one small thing because you guys are awesome and do a great job. Uh, just as you have alerted me to the complexities of hundreds of topics in your podcast, I hope you will examine the complexities of maleness and see that we... Uh, cannot all be painted with one wide privileged brush. 
This is probably one of the best listener mails we've ever gotten. Great. Intelligent, uh, insightful. I mean, change, change just my perspective on things. Like, Absolutely. I realized that by us saying, like, you know, us taking the liberty of, on behalf of all men, yeah. putting down men yeah. in order to boost up women, that we were, that like that in and of itself is the definition of male privilege because we were just assuming that everybody has it as great as we do. Sure. And this guy pointed out that we were wrong. And yeah. thank you, David. Seriously, that is one of the best listener mails we've ever had. Agreed. Yep. Thank you. Great way to end a bad podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see uh, what you got and you can try to compete with David's all-time great listener mail, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 